All right. Hello, everyone. This is, again, Ethan Shapiro, the climate change realtor with Cobalt Banker, founder of the most innovative real estate sales company in the world, for another episode of Changing the Climate. A show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Miss Vicki Goldstein, founder and executive director of the Inland Ocean Coalition. Vicki, thank you so much for joining me. Well, it is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. I'm really excited about this show now. We're trying to ramp up episodes. We're really working on getting up to um, weekly content. And at this point, it hasn't been, been there yet. But uh, I'm reaching out to people more and more. And I had originally wanted this to be a more open form show. But I'm realizing as I reach out to more and more people, I just have too much to learn about climate change and just the environment in general. So we're definitely going to have it more focused on that. So yeah, just just to begin, uh, do you want to give us some background on you and how you got to be where you are today? Oh, wow. I guess I could definitely do that. Well, where do I start? <clears throat> so you take a, an ocean gal who grew up on the East Coast, uh, undergraduate in human ecology, master's in marine policy, worked for NOAA in their National Marine Sanctuaries Department, ran a nonprofit, Save Our Shores in California, a natural history museum in Maine, worked on coastal issues, boom, 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 fast forward, met a cute guy years and years ago, got married, had two beautiful children, and he was offered a position a tenure track position um, at CU in Colorado. And we went and we are here. So that is, first of all, how I ended up in the middle of the country, being very passionate about ocean conservation and really dedicating my life to it. So what do you do when you're in the middle of the country? All you know really is ocean protection, marine protected areas. You start an organization. Beautiful. And so I began with the Colorado Ocean Coalition in 2011 with the idea of creating an inland ocean movement, really getting mm -hmm. people involved inland, primarily in Colorado. And then uh, that was very successful and that began to expand. Other people came to us saying, hey, we want to do a chapter in our region as well. 2017, we rebranded to be the Inland Ocean Coalition and now we have 16 chapters in the country. Awesome. So inland meaning how can people who are not on the coast have a positive effect on the ocean? Is that kind of the main driver? That is it. Yeah, really the premise is you don't have to see or live by the ocean to protect it. So where in the East Coast are you from? Oh, I grew up in Southern New Jersey and learned uh -huh. how to surf at uh, an Jersey ocean girl. city. Um, I lived in Maine for a number of years, um, in Connecticut and D.C., then 10 years in Santa Cruz, California. So, yeah, I've had a, a very varied coastal life. And then I'm awesome. bringing that energy here to the mountains. Yeah, as, as we desperately need it. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about how uh, the process of starting the Colorado Ocean Coalition and kind of how it transitioned into the, the, just the, what is it, a global inland ocean coalition movement? I know you had mentioned that you had interest from people um, in other parts of the world or the parts of the country. How, what did the process look like from beginning to end for someone who's passionate like yourself? I think the 
very beginning was when I started this, it was more of a hobby. It was something mm -hmm. I was passionate about. I had small children. You know, I was going to PTA meetings and teacher conferences and dressing kids up for Halloween. So I didn't have a whole lot of time, but I had enough time to start thinking about how to bring the concept inland. So I really relied on my network and the, I started doing something called blue drinks and it was gathering people up that I knew saying, Hey, let's meet in a bar and let's talk about ocean issues. So I was able to gather up a small group of people who were scientists or underwater photographers, people who love to dive, dive shop owners. And we started meeting up on a regular basis. And then we developed more of a monthly crowd. And then we decided that we would go to Washington DC together and go to the Blue Vision Summit. So I had a banner made <clears throat> and a group of us went for the summit and I put my banner out and people were going, what the heck? What do you mean Colorado Ocean Coalition? What is the Blue Vision talking. Summit? The Blue Vision Summit is a summit that I help co-organize because I've been oh. on, I've been involved in that initiative for a number of years prior to starting the um, Colorado Ocean Coalition. And so it was really our coming out party. And we started talking with other people and there was a lot of interest. And then Dr. Sylvia Earle, who is her deepness, um, really a mm -hmm. champion ocean explorer and just a deep ocean conservationist, said, you know, that's such a cool idea. Is there any way I can help? And I said, well, we're celebrating our one year anniversary coming up. Would you like to join us? And she said, sure. You know, what does that look like? So we got back to Colorado and said, we can't have Sylvia Earle show up at a bar. That would be an insult. <laughs> So we organized our first Making Waves Symposium. And then huh. because Sylvia Earle was coming, um, other people who are you know, in the ocean field wanted to join us. And we had a big event and then we had that the second year and then we brought in some of the Cousteaus and then that expanded to include the San Francisco um, Ocean Film Festival. And we did that for a number of years and then really got the idea out. Like this is what we can do. We can share ocean conservation experiences. We can mm -hmm. get together locally um, as a community. And then we can really help shape some of the policies because at that point yeah. we were reaching out for, to our legislative leaders to say, hey, you have constituents here that really care about the ocean. And then that whole concept really helped us to expand the the chapters because other people heard about us through social media and then it just transformed and then finally we started getting pushback from our chapters saying we don't want to come under the colorado ocean coalition can't mm -hmm. we do something different so that was the reason we transitioned to Think the big. coalition in 2017. um so who is who's sylvia earl uh, i'm curious what's her background so dr sylvia earl i think she just celebrated her 84th or fifth birthday she is uh, she used to be noah's um chief scientist she is a national geographics explorer at large um she's written lots of books uh, she's done mm. a ted talk on hope spots this her her vision of protecting certain areas of the ocean forever and, cre and creating safe habitats but if you were to google sylvia earl she is excellent you can find her she is just an ocean hero
Yeah. So you've mentioned NOAA a couple times now. Would you mind telling the audience what NOAA is and kind of what they sure. do? Thank it you. is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. There we go. Yeah. And there is the climate side of NOAA, and then mm -hmm. there is the ocean side of NOAA. And I worked on the ocean side of NOAA. Beautiful. Cool. So uh, now I'd, I'd just like to discuss, I know you know a lot about this topic, just kind of this, this theory of the two-way relationship between ocean and water. Can you shed some light on that for our, our guests or our uh, audience? Mean, my bad. Okay. The two-way, you meaning the watershed concept of how water flows or there's so many so, things to talk about with water. <laughs> I know. And I, and I plan to talk about as much as we can, but um, basically, so there's ocean water, right? And then there's fresh water. And right. what people need to understand is that they're both very uh, interconnected and obviously the world is mostly composed of ocean water. So what is the relationship between uh, these two different types of water? Well, first of all, let's start out that we live on an ocean planet and mm -hmm. it's 71% ocean and we are literally living in a enclosed habitat. Right. So when it snows or rains or in our case in Colorado, hails, as well all of that water goes down hits the mountains goes down through the uh, streams and rivers that water flows out eventually into the ocean environment some of it is captured you know through the soil and it goes into our aquifers and then once it gets to the ocean it is evaporated and then it completes that cycle and then it rains and snows and hails all over again so it is one complete cycle mm -hmm. so no matter where we live the ocean really does have a significant relationship with us and i like to think that living in colorado that the ocean starts here because we are literally right. you know at the continental divide so it comes in and uh, the water that is east of the continental divide will then flow down through rivers and streams to the Mississippi and then out to the Gulf of Mexico. And then on the Western side, it goes down through the Colorado and then into the um, Bay of, oh gosh. Um, <laughs> that bay of something. River, into the Pacific Ocean eventually. Yeah, this isn't changing the geography, don't worry. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. Um, so it's, I think people, if you study science and every, we all have to take science classes when we're, when we're in school, but you don't realize how truly interconnected everything is. So like the effect that you have on the mountains can actually change the demographic or the ecology in the ocean. So um, I guess the, one of the main tenets or the points of, of your organization is getting people to understand that what we do inland actually can have a huge effect on the ocean. I, I think it's, it's quite, quite obvious at this point. But um, what, what, can, what can we do to uh, be more like cognizant of the effect we're having? Because the ocean, like you said, is 71% of the entire planet. So what we do on the earth can, you know, when you, I like the, the analogy where you like drop food coloring into water and then all of a sudden like the water is red like forever. It'd be really hard to like get that out. So what can we do as, as Coloradans who are, who are, you know, we're very profoundly infecting our environment in this area by just living and burning fossil fuels and creating waste. So what can we do to uh, foster a more healthy ocean? Oh my gosh. There are, there are so many things we can do, but we can start a on a policy level mm -hmm. and there's many levels, but I think what's really interesting and people don't recognize it, that 
our, um, our leadership, our congressional leaders, whether they're house reps or our senators, are voting on a regular basis in Washington on regulations, on different pieces of legislation. Mm -hmm. And so many times, if you're an inland congressional leader, you don't realize that you have constituents. So one of the most important things is to reach out, whether it's a letter, an email, a phone call, and letting your legislative leaders know that you care about the ocean and that you want them to vote pro-water, pro-ocean as the most basic first step. And what would that mean? Well, that means, for example, um, in about two weeks, there will be an ocean climate piece of legislation in the House. And people who are living inland who care about that should reach out to their leaders because in the House, it's going to be introduced, but then it's going to go out and other congressional leaders will need to vote on it and support it. And if we get enough support on that, it'll go to the Senate. So no matter where you live, every single person has a representative who can have a voice in Congress on how different pieces of legislation will be supported or how that legislation would be either rejected or, or really shepherded into um, formal legislation. So right. having that two-way communication with your congressional leader is so important. Like and I said, you don't always get to actually talk to like, for example, Senator Bennett, but certainly with his aides, you can convey that. And then, you know, the same with the house reps, for example, Congressman Goose, yep. letting him know. So policy is really important. It's kind so of voting legal. with your voice about what you like and what's important. Other things are just being aware of, for example, what you do in your own community, in your yard. So mm -hmm. if you're using pesticides, herbicides, to maintain your yard. When it rains, a lot of those materials wash off into the streets and will flow down into the closest storm drain. And a storm drain, I don't know if you know what they look like, but they're just little cuts in the street. Some of them say drains to rivers or drains to bay, depending on where you are in the country, but they're all the same. And there's just hundreds of thousands and they go into your closest water body and then that flows and eventually makes its way into the ocean. So if where would that be for us, our closest For us, body? if we're here in Boulder, then it would, depending on where you are, but it would eventually make it because we're on the east side of the divide. So our mm -hmm. water will flow into um, eventually the Mississippi and into the Gulf of Mexico. Got you. That's far. So if, yeah, it's, it's, it's eventually, it makes its way. So for example, if you have plastic bottles, okay, we've already talked about the Huge chemicals. One. Plastic bottles. Um, Rivers are the conduits for that and single-use plastics. Um, it's a, we're using a tremendous amount That's of single-use plastics and only 9% in the United States really are recycled. So the rest are either incinerated, end up in landfills or into the environment. And I, I used to take photographs of plastic bags in trees. It's like, mm -hmm. no winter storm. So that plastic will go into the environment and plastic never goes away. It right. will stay in the environment forever and it will continue to break down. And once it gets into our water bodies, it can then be taken up by fish or amphibians and consumed, and then it can stay in the food chain. But also it just ends up as microplastics. That's what and I was gonna it can ask, eventually yeah. work its way into the ocean. And we know that there's trillions of pieces of microplastics in the ocean. And because 80% of all the garbage, trash, plastics that end up in the ocean come from inland sources. 
So oh, it's like okay. up to us to really take care of our watershed because it will impact the ocean. Um, is there something maybe we can do? Like, I think I saw, maybe this was like a, a science project theory or something, just like a, a guard for the, the sewer drain so plastic doesn't get into there. What, what can we, this, this plastic pollution problem, specifically microplastics, I mean, what, what percent of the ocean is comprised of this at this point? Do we know? Well, there's been a number of studies and there are very few places in the ocean that don't have some type of microplastics just because they are so dispersed throughout the ocean. And unnatural and harmful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, cancer causing. When I was a kid, we didn't even really have that. We didn't have plastic pollution as a problem. So yeah, there's, um, they say that we consume about a credits card worth of microplastics every year. And that'll just keep going up the more plastic we make. Yeah. And plastic is a problem, obviously, for wildlife, whether it is big plastic that's being consumed and entanglement problems with nylon ropes that don't break down or bags that get into the stomachs or bottles or microplastics. Um, But what people don't recognize is that plastic really is a climate problem because you it's horrible crack to get your gas mm-hmm. and then you convert it and then that conversion process is also climate inducing and then you have your um your your virgin plastic pellets or the the feedstock and then that is transformed into your variety of uses for single-use plastics which, which i didn't know properly handled and then it ends up in the ocean or landfill so it really it starts inland, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, Pennsylvania, where we do a lot of fracking. Mm-hmm. And that is the beginning of our plastic pollution. And the industry is very excited about this because mm-hmm. with the excess amount of um, this, this gas, this liquid gas that is used for plastic production, they are investing millions of dollars in new plants because they see this as a boon to the industry because our fossil fuel use, our traditional boon, boon, like woo, more opportunity to make more plastic. Um, Actually, I'm gonna reference something I just wanted to uh, share with you. Are you able to, are you able to share? Um, I just was gonna read it. That's that's Um, better, yeah, perfect. So it's the American Chemistry Council states by 2023, the chemical industry is projected to spend over $164 billion on 264 new facilities and expansion plants to take advantage of this natural resource or gas. And basically it's ethane, which is then cracked to make ethylene, which is the raw material for single-use plastics. Yeah, so let's let's make this very clear to people. Plastic <laughs> is made out of fossil fuels, correct? Correct. It all seems to come back to this one thing, is fossil fuels, which we need to not use, not pull out of the ground, not do stuff with, because um, I'm sorry, I wanted to comment before that, that um, visual that you provide or that image of everyone consuming a credit card's worth of microplastics each year. It's like, you never feel it. You won't notice it. But every day, um, is it is it in the water we're drinking right now already, the microplastic? 
Well, there's been a lot of different discussions on if it is actually in our water, but we do know it is in our it's stream. In our fish. And, and it's in our fish and it's in our ocean. Eat. And actually we've been working with CU and a number of uh, scientists up there to do water quality sampling, not water quality, but, but microplastic sampling. And we haven't really delved into like what type, but we do know from our samples that in our very pristine waterways in Colorado mm -hmm. that we do have microplastics. So considering where we are, we, and we are at the essence, the beginning of that, that waterway that goes all the way down, mm -hmm. we're sort of in the, you know, the most pristine, our water comes from the glaciers and we're finding microplastics way up here. So by the time, if you think about the accumulation process as the water continues down through different sections of the United States and all of the streams that feed into it from different communities, remember these microplastics not only come from the breakdown of single-use plastics, straws, utensils, things that end up in the waterway, but we, they also come from fibers from our clothing, um, fibers oh. from our washing machines, and from our dryers, because there are a lot of clothes now that are made out of recycled plastics. Wow. Yeah, and then it's there are awful. new sneakers, and then you think about another thing, astroturf, plastic, running around. Like a football field? Like Astro a football turf? field, breaking yeah. down, all those little tiny playgrounds that have that artificial um, mm -hmm. plastic. Roads, tires, you know, tires have a plastic in it. So everything has plastic we, in we've it. We've done, we've, we've actually taken advantage of the glorious, if you watch the graduate, you know, plastics. <laughs> we've really taken that to a whole new level. And now we are really having the to. Graduate? Is it like the Dustin, oh, is it Dustin Hoffman? Yes, that's the one. Remember that yeah. section about plastics? I, I haven't seen it, but my dad's been on my case about me to okay, see it. You have years. to watch it. Go make sure you watch uh, it. Do. And that's really kind of the beginning. And I forget the exact phrase. Of course, but, uh, of course. You'll know what I mean when you see it. Yeah. So anyway, we've been very excited as a society with all the benefits of plastics. It was very useful. Of, yeah. And, it's, and it was also really appealing to women because it was like, oh, instead of cleaning and washing all those darn dishes, we just sweep all the plastic and toss it in the trash. And it was, oh, no. it was a time-saving opportunity. And you know, we, just, we didn't really think about the long-term consequences. And now we are really needing to face that. Yeah, that seems like a, a common thread with humanity is, is not look, looking at the long-term consequences. And, I, you know, so uh, disclaimer, people don't know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a very science-minded person. I'm very into business. I'm very into pragmatic approaches to solving things. But the more and more I think about and I'm getting involved in this climate community and trying to understand what we can do and how we can fix it is that everything is just based on our behavior. And it's, it's quite puzzling to me. I've read the, uh, the climate change isn't happening arguments and they, you know, you can, like I say, you can spin anything and, you know, use logic to create a good argument. But the, the, I, the fact that people don't think that human beings can affect our environment is absolutely mind blowing to me. Even just taking like the huge example of like the nuclear bomb, like they, okay, we know we, we definitely have nuclear weapons and we can use those and destroy the, um, the entire environment that way but the fact that they don't think that little actions 
added up over decades or centuries can have an effect on a system that's clearly obviously connected. You have water that comes from the continental divide that goes all the way into the ocean, which can then flow all the way to different continents. It's just, it doesn't seem to, to make sense to me how someone can, can, can think we won't have an effect on the environment. If you can, you know, pull grass out of the ground, you're affecting that ecosystem there. And as far as this, this is the, the plastic, the climate change, it's all connected to just human behavior. And the beautiful thing about it is that we can change. But the hard part is people don't want to change. People get comfortable. People like what they're doing. So what, what would you advise? This pla- I haven't talked about plastic on this show yet, and I've been looking forward to it. Well, looking forward to it. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's terrifying to think this is like a little... It's just like the global warming in the sense that the, our behavior is continuing to increase. You just mentioned how many, like 460 new plants proposed or something. The, and the more and more we do of it, the more and more it's going to come and, and bite us. And that's the same thing with burning fossil fuels or using fossil fuels as plastic and polluting the environment. We're putting pollutants out. So I don't know. What, what advice would you give? How can, how can, we, how can we change? Because I, I really don't know. I mean, on a personal level, I suppose using less plastic is good, but what can we do on a, on a macro scale to just get rid of this dependency we have on uh, well, disposable plastics? I mean, I mm-hmm. think the whole idea of the, what, we, what we've tried to do with our different chapters is to almost, I guess you could say, educate people, educate your friends, your family around you, and create a cultural shift for reducing your own single-use plastics as a number one. And we've been working with a couple of other organizations um, to do brand audits. So in in addition to reducing your own and taking that responsibility, really paying attention to where these plastics are coming from, what corporations Mm -hmm. are producing them, and then asking those corporations to take responsibility for that. So you might say, well, how do you ask corporations to do that? And I will tell you, because there is legislation pending that is called oh. the Break Free from Plastics Act okay. that would, in essence, hold these companies accountable for not only producing all of those materials and then just like letting them go and making it, you know, leaving it up to us to properly dispose of or do our creek cleanups that we always do, but to be responsible for continuing that process and bringing them back in so they're properly disposed of. And there are some technologies that will do that. But right now, we are not able to get that passed in the Senate. So all mm-hmm. I can write, all I can say right now is that um, we need to vote. We need to vote people in to our Congress that care about environmental issues, that care about ocean issues, care about plastic right. pollution, and really trying to create legislation So in our country, at least, because this is where we have control, take control of this outrageous problem. And we hear frequently saying, oh, plastic is China's problem, or plastic is Indonesia's problem. What we've been doing is sending our trash to those other countries. And they have huge problems there, but they didn't generate the plastic. They don't consume that single-use plastic. We've been shipping our waste over there. So they just burn it? 
first. Well, they burn it, but they also will sort through it and try to get some money for it mm-hmm. and do they, they have well, who's buying company. it because then it's still it's still at, it never disappears. That's right. the scariest I, thing. I'd love to, to recommend a great movie um, and it's called Break Free no, from Plastic. That's number two for this podcast. Gradu- <laughs> uh, what is it? The Graduate and what else? Break Free from Plastic. So it's the same name as the legislation, but there's also a movie. And that really lays out um, the story that I'm telling right now, Mm -hmm. where the problem starts, you know, with fracking, how we, um, how it's increasing climate change, but also how our waste and kind of our ignorance has been hurting other countries that are least, that are not as well off and who've been accepting our trash for a number of years. And it's, it's really an eye-opening movie. So I would highly recommend it. Gotcha. And we've had the opportunity to to show it through the Inland Ocean Coalition and then have conversations with the producer. So through our programs, we try to get this information out and have dialogue with people who care about it and then really get people aware of the, of the possible legislation that will help us to solve this problem. Cool. So that's that's enough on plastic. I, this stuff can get very depressing if we if we go too far, but there it is... Go it's as real a problem as carbon emissions. It's, it's actually very similar more than I had realized. So um, I had read on your website that the coalition is very focused on watershed health. Do you want to sh- shed some light <laughs> on what that, what that is and how we can foster that in our community perhaps? Yeah, it was a little bit what I, what I talked about, recognizing that we are all communities living upstream from someone else. And what we do watershed. in our community will impact the next community all the way down into the ocean and how we really need to be careful of how we treat our yard, mm-hmm. our, our region. And so some of the things that we do obviously is to try to purchase food that are organic, or we really support that. Um, try to keep a 50 mile radius food supply when you can. Of course, uh-huh. reduce your you single- consume plastic. food within 50 miles, made within yeah, 50 because, miles. You know, and being aware that if you, you are eating foods that are grown, you know, 1,000, 5,000 miles away, mm-hmm. that there is a, um, a carbon footprint in getting Absolutely. that food here. Not that everybody has to go into like, okay, we're just going to eat kale year round. But being I aware- I love kale. I, I do love too. it so much. Yeah. My just, favorite. I think it's my favorite food. <laughs> well, good, because you can grow up practically year-round here. Awesome. Um, but the idea of watershed health is just really taking care of your watershed, being aware. What, and, what is watershed? Sorry, just to oh, be clear. Oh, watershed. Okay, so just for a very simple thing is, yes. um, so for the United States, mm-hmm. you know, a big example is the Continental Divide. Boom, we have a big watershed in the middle of the country, and we're in it. And that's kind of, it's the ridge in which Flow all the water of water from, from a source? The source is usually rain or snow, and uh-huh. and it's a ridge. So when the water hits, the it kind mountain. of flows into a valley and then mm-hmm. goes out. So you have a couple of enormous large watersheds in the country. And then within a watershed, you have much smaller watersheds that go to like this little watershed. Say here's is a, it a little, splitting of, of a flow a of water. Is that a shed? It's a splitting. So you just figure so out the, your the divide would be one of them. The continental divide yes. is a, a large watershed where water splits off and goes in different directions. And in order for it to be healthy, we want to make sure there's no pollution going into the water at the split because then it'll be pollution on both sides, right? Right. And then it goes into little streams. And again, all those little streams meet up and boom, out the door, excuse me, out the creek to the ocean. 
<laughs> gotcha. Cool. So uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the the problem of like oil spills and just like the general ecosystem in in the ocean. Um, so there's fracking is is purely an inland activity, is it not? Yeah, so that so oil spills would come from from drilling in the ocean, right? Correct. What can we do to kind of prevent something like that? Because it was. I don't know, eight years ago or seven years ago where this giant oil spill happened. We had tons and tons of gallons of oil going into the ocean. What kind of effect does that have? Are we feeling the effects still now today from that huge spill? Was it Exxon seven years ago? It was the BP spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. What does that mean for the ocean? Um, It means really bad things. And yes, we are still seeing the effects of that and also of the dispersants that were used in that, in that spill. What um, so is yeah, dispersants? Oil, yeah, so they used a lot of dispersants, which are chemicals that take this big, thick, oily mass of oil and it breaks it up. So the idea is that you, know, you use as many tools as you can to get the oil out of the water, but you really can't entirely. So you disperse it. And that means it breaks it up so you have less impact, say, for example, for to otters or birds. But mm-hmm. the problem is it puts it in the breaks it up into these little teeny, teeny pieces. And then it lands on the substrate or the bottom of the ocean where it can impact the habitat and the animals that feed in that area. So we are still seeing the impacts. How do I or we how do we avoid it um, right now? Our current president I've heard of him, has him. opened up a majority of our coast. Actually, it was 90% of our coast that is available for offshore oil development, <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. minus Florida, Georgia, South, and North Carolina just recently. And that means if you go to the Jersey Shore in the future, sure. there may be oil rigs. So again, it goes back to voting. If you do not want to see your coastal environment opened up to oil and gas development and drilling, we need to get leadership both in the House and the Senate and in the White House that feels that fossil fuel extraction isn't a priority because right now our leadership feels we should go after as much oil as possible. And he's opened up all of those regions that do have reserves under the ocean. I see. What do you, what do you say to a young individual who might be more conservative minded, very concerned about tax policy, very concerned about business success, especially now during the virus, but is also equally concerned about the climate crisis and environmental health in general. These these individuals are, are clearly torn at this point. What advice would you give to someone who definitely is more right-leaning, but also cares about the survival of their species and the, the environment? I think that that individual and, or those individuals should look at um, the policies that have come out of the White House and really look into it. Um, there's a lot of media that is not really delving into what's been happening under the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, we've loosened regulations. We're allowing offshore oil development to occur. Um, we're allowing more wetlands to be destroyed for coastal development. And I think there's a decision to make. Um, we cannot have a healthy economy if our environment is ruined. 
I agree with we that. We cannot survive and, and be healthy and have vibrant communities if our water is polluted. And we certainly can't have strong, vibrant coastal communities that are really reliant on tourism if they're cleaning up from an oil spill and the fishermen cannot go out and Ugh. get their catch. Yeah. So that's really my answer. Um, and I, I think thank you. It's, it's the environment is really super important. You're 100% right. I completely agree with you. And I think many people who are business oriented do understand that the environment's very important and they do believe in more than just shareholder value. They believe in stakeholder value. They believe in taking care of customers and all, all this, this other stuff that goes with that. You've spoken a lot about talking to your legislation, calling your senators. You, you like me in a similar way, you have a, a big picture kind of oriented solution whereas if we put if we pass legislation that's it you know they can't do it anymore do you have any theories about how the the business world can have a positive impact on the ocean or on the climate because i i you know with my venture that's kind of what i'm doing i'm trying to find a way to bridge um i don't know bridge a an economically feasible oh. business model with yeah go ahead yeah there's a there's absolutely and there's a lot of excitement around this whole new movement forward with this ocean climate initiative and green jobs and solar and looking at wind and proper siting for wind energy and which is cheaper than than oil oh, now yeah. my mic I mean, had, had I said think, on the I podcast think the economy, i think everybody wants a strong economy i, I don't think does, anyone yes. and i think i i you know i'm some people care more than others though Probably, but I think that most people want to have a home. They want job security. They want to be able to send their children to college. It's not on they, fire, not covered in plastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. I think everybody wants a similar thing. I, I think we have more in common with each other than we, I mean, we have much more in common with each other. I mean, we all want the same thing. The Everyone question, wants the same how thing. Do we, I agree. How do we get there? And, I'll, yes, and I'm just saying problem. that we can. There are so many strong economies based around clean energy. Um, healthy yeah, I had my Norwegian friend on a couple of weeks back, and he talked about that's ba they are doing a lot of oil drilling, but they're completely reinvesting all the profits into renewables. And the, I think he said like 95% of the whole country is run on renewables now, which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, there's so many innovations. And the thing is, people are really, really smart. And we are developing technologies every day. And um, right now, even all of the ports are, are getting behind this initiative. So it's say like, hey, this, the ocean, there's a lot of opportunities. All of the shipping, the ocean shipping that we rely on and we need, we're starting to turn our attention to like, how do you make the shipping industry cleaner? Because nobody wants to shut down shipping and, and moving goods around because we need those goods. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunities to create clean shipping and using different fuels and making sure that those emissions are not contributing to climate change in a way they have in the past. What's going so, on now as far as the shipping industry? Do you know much oh, about there's it? There's a whole new, there's a whole new effort and initiative to- Well, before that, before that, how, how has the shipping industry primarily gotten the job done? It's through these large freights, right? Oh, on the water? The, and, they, and they use the cheapest, Diesel? dirtiest or fuel. No, it's this very heavy crude. And we've been studying this, we meaning the scientists and people who work for NOAA and looking at kind of the ocean climate models. And it's, um, it's a very large polluting sector. And so mm -hmm. we're now focusing in on that. And there are new technologies coming out of the business community um, discussing and looking at how we can transform our fleets 
for cleaner fleets. Um, again, going back to wind, how do we start citing wind? So there is a- Citing wind? Citing. So we call that when you place a, um, a wind farm, either on land or in the ocean, mm-hmm. you cite it. But with the ocean, it's a little more complicated because you then have to manage fishing. So you don't want to interfere with the fishing community. And then you don't want to interfere with the migrating whales. Citing, so, like placing a site placing, to be yeah, used? Identifying the site, mm-hmm. placing it. So there's been a lot of energy around um, marine mapping. So how do we do this in a smart way? Working with different communities, like the tourism, with fishing, with wind, with uh, marine mammal protection. So people are thinking about these things. So we're not talking about shutting the economy down. We're mm-hmm. talking about how do we increase the economy's productivity in a way that is not harming the environment. So we Long term. in essence get it all, exactly. Because that would be great. Yeah, so I guess we're kind of getting towards, towards the end here. I just wanted to talk a little bit about ocean biodiversity and the effects that a, a rising sea level and glacial melt will have on the ecosystems in the ocean and how does that affect us inland as well? So I think that the biodiversity in the ocean is absolutely critical as well as the biodiversity on land. Correct. And so what we're seeing through sea level rise and um, more glacial melting and more fresh water coming in and temperatures changing is really a change in the biodiversity. So what I'm excited about is this new legislation. I'm always trying to find a bright spot and it's mm-hmm. called the 30 by 30. So the idea is let's protect 30% of the ocean and its biodiversity, 30% of land by 2030. And recognizing that if we are going to keep healthy ocean environments intact, that we have to actually find these very special habitats. And some of those habitats are really vulnerable to the to global climate warming or climate like change. Like the Great Barrier Reef. Exactly, very important. So very it's, important that, ecosystem. So it's really like protect portions of the ocean because if they're healthy and vibrant, they're gonna be more resilient. Mm-hmm. But we can't do that without reducing our fossil fuels because warming will continue. So it really has to happen kind of in sync. But the good news is I think people are becoming more and more aware of it. And we have the tools and we have the legislation if we can get it passed and the initiatives to really slow things down, protect the biodiversity in the most important places on land and at sea. And we know that there will be sea level rise and some communities will have to move and some environments will be negatively impacted but we can do our best as far as planning and really trying to be thoughtful about what areas we want to really give a high priority to for protection. Do you have any idea where that, that 30% figure comes from? Cause yeah, we had, we had said that 70% of the surface of the planet is ocean. So 30% of the ocean, that's a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot of uh, protected waters, which would be great. Yeah. Well, basically if you look at the Pacific, you look at the East coast there, we, there's a lot of opportunities for these underwater canyons, for underwater habitats that you can go in and protect. So for one example, um, we have a huge marine protected area in Hawaii and using that as a model to also protect other regions. And when you do that, you are in essence saying these are very special. And of course, you work with a scientific community to really determine mm-hmm. 
what those areas are. You just don't do it willy nilly. Um, but I feel like if we get to that point of 30% land, 30% ocean by 2030, we will be making great headway. And so try to follow that piece of legislation. Um, Would the idea be to, to increase it over time or is 30 well, good? Because so you said you feel like we'll do well, but you know, I well, like no, it's when you, when you are taking land and ocean and putting boundaries around it with protective status, it's a, it's a political decision. So again, it all comes down to our leadership and if our leadership and international leadership when it comes to the mm -hmm. ocean will support these initiatives. And we have a lot of people rallying behind this now, but of course it has not been fully implemented. So that's, right. I'm hopeful, but it's not a done deal yet. Yeah, well, I think your message has been very clear today. It's very important to vote and support legislation that's gonna take care of the planet. So uh, just to conclude here, I just wanted to, throw something out there and see, see what you thought about it. I'm sure you thought about this in the past. So 97% of Earth's water is in the ocean. We've said several times, 70% of the surface of the planet is covered in ocean. We are yet to explore any of it, basically. We've, we've seen a great deal. I think James Cameron like touched the Mariana Trench bottom or whatever. But um, we have 5% of the sea floor mapped and that's 70% of the Earth's surface. So basically what I read is like 65% of the earth is unexplored. So people are very excited. It's like, oh, we're going to go to Mars and explore a whole new planet. It's like, yo, we haven't explored our planet yet. And we talked about biodiversity and how important it is to have um, a healthy ecosystem. But yeah, I'm just curious as, an, as someone who's so interested in the ocean, have you thought about how much mystery is just truly still left out there? I when I say we, I say the ocean. Like every day. We're always saying, why are you spending all of this money to go to these foreign planets when we have an amazing ecosystem? We can do we both, but understand. yeah. Yeah. Go to Mars, fine. But I agree. <laughs> yes. I mean, we have some of the most amazing deep canyons and we're still discovering new species now. I mean, Embari, which is a, a group out of California with their deep sea submersibles, are finding amazing creatures and I think as far as the scientific community goes and also combining the scientific community with animals and health, there are some amazing animals that can actually really help us in our future as mm -hmm. far as different materials that are coming. I mean, we're seeing a lot of new materials coming out of these ocean animals. Like for example, okay, this really? is old, but barnacles, barnacles. Uh -huh have been instrumental in really helping us with our dentistry because of the huh. adhesives. And there's so many examples. So the idea is if we start destroying ecosystems or don't explore and understand- Well, if we don't stop, because we already are. We, let's be, we let's really be real. We could really a lot of valuable resources, which would not only be- And we are in the process. Right, exactly. But not only for you know, keeping biodiversity, but also for our future health opportunities. You know, There's a lot of different cancer um, reducing medications that are coming out of some of the animals in the deep sea. So it's just something that we should be aware of. Cool. Well, yeah, Vicki, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Guys, the ocean is earth, basically. You know, we're, what are, are we 97? Aren't humans 97% or 86% composed of water as well? Water is, is the key to life. If we keep putting uh, whatever you want to call it, plastic, 
oil, anti-living things in it, it's going to eventually come back and get us if it hasn't already. So that's why I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the show and ha- I'm really supportive of what you're doing and taking care of water, taking care of the ocean, take care of, taking care of each other and, um, and having a positive attitude while you do it is great. So Vicky, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It was a pleasure to have you speak and I would love to uh, talk again in the future. Great. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. It was my pleasure. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic day. You were, you were listening to Changing the Climate. All right. Take care, everyone.